Dear Alejandro Mallorcas, You have probably heard the term self-care. It has been in the public eye recently, so probably you have. When you assumed your position as Secretary of Homeland Security, you became a key actor of an administration marked by a pandemic. The effects that such an unprecedented public health crisis has had in the people you serve can now be summarized by that expression. Self-care, a term that is not only applied individually, but also connected via solidarity and empathy to our communities and our society. We understand yet again, we were part of the same body. I wonder if you have ever thought about the connection between self-care and a petition of asylum. Now that Title 42 expired and you decided to maintain many of its policies and implement new measures to further restrict the chance for Latin Americans to opt for asylum unless people enter by airplane or via expensive ships, I wonder how often you think about the mental health of your own parents when they decided to apply for asylum as refugees from Cuba. Dear Alejandro, whose name is not Alexander, Alex or Alexis, but Alejandro Nicolás, con J and accent mark, do you really imagine that when one is fleeing menace, something threatening, whatever it is, a government or a civil war, tax collectors or neighbors with guns, white supremacists or narcos, gangas or evangelicos fanaticos, any kind of violence, even old cultural aggressions like when someone is an artist or sexually dissident or part of an unaccepted faith. Do you really imagine that when running scared, panicked and feeling that one's whole existence is at stake, any human person will stop to think about the legality or illegality of the only bridge available at night, of the only window with the lights on, or if the one and only door that seems to be available for a second when you're being chased is a lawful or unlawful entrance? How can you accept and avail in the name of your parents and family who travel in desperation to survive that the rule of law, such political abstraction, is more important than the concrete life of a single human person? We write this letter to you with the hope that we are mistaken. With deep love and respect for the story of asylum of your elders, and with the hope that you see their faces in every immigrant whose entrance is denied by your signature. This is The Letter, a podcast hosted by yours truly, the writers Carlos Lave and Monica Ramon Rios. In today's episode, we weave through different literatures from Latin America to think about their circulation in the United States. We take an unusual approach. We do not focus on bookstores, online markets, literary festivals, or universities, but recent exhibitions in galleries and museums in the city of New York. As listeners of this podcast, you might have read or visited an exhibition that took place in the Whitney Museum from late November of 2022 to April 2023, which included the work of 15 or 20 artists creating after the natural and human-made devastations provoked by Hurricane Maria in 2017. This exhibition was long due and became an event in New York City, you know, a city with a major concentration of the island's diaspora. But what caught our writerly attention, though, was that the curatorial team decided to name the exhibition No Existe Un Mundo Post-Huracán after a verse from poet Roque Raquel Salas Rivera's book, 
while they sleep under the bed is another country. Not only the verse, but also Salas Rivera's book from where the verse was taken were part of the exhibition. If you happened to be pacing the galleries, you would suddenly encounter a book that looked like a like if a visitor had casually left it on a bench by mistake. But if you did, like us, grab the book and read its contents, you'd notice how the words organized as poetic language made sense of all the videos, installations, paintings, and objects that form the exhibition. While they sleep under the bed is another country is a guiding force for the gaze maze galleries that contain not only pieces by different artists with different crafts and different groundings to the island, but also a new materiality and a new aesthetic language made of plastic, focal lights, and protosigns. So today we ask, what can literature do in a museum or a gallery usually meant for visual objects? What is the role of language, and particularly literary, poetic, theoretical language, in those cultural places meant for other kinds of experiences? How can the written exp expression become art for the masses, for the tourists, and for the learned visitor? These questions are not new for me, because as a writer, I have worked in museums. In fact, I was asking myself those same questions a few months before Hurricane Maria hit the island. In early 2017, I attended a talk by the Argentinian art historian Andrea Junta. She spoke to a semi-full theater at the Museum of Modern Art about Verbo America, an exhibit she co-curated at the Museo de Arte Latinoamericano in Buenos Aires, known as Malva. Her talk argued how the exhibition organized this museum's collection under a glossary of concepts emerging from decolonial theorists and writers, thus highlighting issues like race, economic dependency, resistance to European and American hegemony, and the visual languages that merge from the experience of creating modern art in South America. In one of Junta's slides, there was a picture of the entrance to the galleries, which I had the opportunity to see later that year in Buenos Aires. It had various quotes from writers and intellectuals that I recognized. As a writer working in a museum setting, Junta's inclusion of literature as part of an exhibition was highly intriguing. Being a lover of archives here in New York, I have spent some of my time scouring through, among others, MoMA's archives and found many interesting pieces, some even literary, like Juan Luis Martinez's La Nueva Novela. La Nueva Novela is a cult book object by the late Juan Luis Martinez, but ultimately a collection of poems that gave itself to be read, seen, and touched. Unfortunately, after his passing, the heirs of Martinez had never again authorized a new edition of La Nueva Novela. Consequently, any student of literature in Chile cherishes the moment they could lay hands on one of the 100 original release copies. Despite the nature of that mystified book, the museum catalog presented the book object vaguely with no information of its provenance or exhibition or readerly history. Would a readerly history enter the annals of a museum, I wonder? In that semi-full theater in the early months of 2017, I raised my hand to ask Junta about the use of literature in the exhibition, particularly about what space did she consider literature to have in a museum. Junta's answer was categorical. None. 
You can understand the interest sparked by this more contemporary approach taken by Marcela Guerrero, Angelica Arbelaez, and Sofia Silva, the curators of that exhibition at the Whitney. This is an exhibition in which a verse and a poetry book offer meaning or make sense for a U.S. audience um, of an artistic production that is regarded as marginal or new, that in fact creates its own aesthetic language. This visual language made of precarious materials such as plastic that appear in the pieces and in some of the performances, there was water or the flashlights and apagones, might even be unreadable for those who know little about what it is to live in a colonial state. Salas Rivera's book provides a language for those meanings that can be sensed, but not readily understood. There was something amiss if, like many tired tourists or local viewers, you did not stop at that bench and the book at the corner. From those pages, what emerged was a continuity between the poems, the pieces, and the museum labels, charged with an incendiary protest about the deaths provoked by a natural disaster, the hurricane, and how the inhabitants of the island were later abandoned and left to die by human-made colonial-dependent and economic disaster. Those were the words that made us shake. The poetics of disaster and how to name the disaster from within. The museum labels that accompany the pieces could be even considered pieces in themselves. Never has a label been more didactic. Never before have they illuminated and interrupted the flow of the white walls and the whitewashing process of colonization to which museums submit the experience of disaster. And there is a disparity between the neutrality of language in art galleries or museum walls and the very personal poetry of Roque Raquel Salas Rivera. Let's hear one of their poemas from Wild Sleep which is originally in English, except for its footnote, which is in Spanish. She arrived three years ago. She is now married to a white man. She lives in Allentown. He arrived five days ago. He is now living with a cousin. He is still looking for a work. She arrived one year ago. She got a job at Target. She takes pictures on the train and wears long johns. They arrived a month ago. They broke up last week. They are depressed. They can't remember when they are. They are depressed. They can't remember when they arrived. They keep threatening to move back. I can live without electricity. I've done it before. Repartiendo pastillas como chicles. Disaster, whether political, economic, climate, or more likely all at once, is in fact one or a few of the ways in which artistic movements from the global south, let's say Latin America, South Asia, Oceania, Middle East, Africa, might enter the value-making machine that is the art circuit in New York. A dictatorship or civil wars, tsunamis, typhoons and earthquakes, racial genocide and displacement, all of which reveal what it is to live under a dependent economy and at the periphery of the West. In the case of Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico, it was not only that more than 4,000 people lost their lives, but also how climate disaster has nothing natural about it when it is tied to the colonialist policies of the United States, the precarization of the people under the regime, and their forced migration. 
It is a disaster long in the making. The sudden violence of the hurricane laid bare the slow and deep marks of colonial violence. At the same time, the exhibition and the book confirm that although there is no mundo, world beyond the hurricane, there is certainly an art and a language in its aftermaths. But it is not a language that might be appropriated by the machinations of the art world. On the contrary, it is a taking over of that space by the language of protest, opposition, and the desire for independence. And it provides a language, a route of sorts, for all those experiences in South America that have suffered the hubris of imperial meddling, a meddling that affects not only our governments, but the mere possibility of day-to-day -day existence. The reading curated by Salas Rivera on December 4, 2022, also bore a verse as a title, El Bello Ser de Nuestros Cuerpos, that is, Our Bodies, Beautiful Not Being. This time, the verse is from the poem Nada, written in 1938 by no less than the Boricua legend Julia de Burgos. Let's hear the first stanza of that poem in the original Spanish, then in the English translation by Salas Rivera. Si del no ser venimos y hacia el no ser marchamos, nada entre nada y nada, cero entre cero y cero, y si entre nada y nada no puede existir nada, brindemos por el bello no ser de nuestros cuerpos. If from not being we come and toward not being we go, nothing between nothing and nothing, zero between zero and zero. And if between nothing and nothing, there can be nothing. Let us toast to our bodies, beautiful not being. Qué increíble poema. I talked about the exhibition with an ex-lover who had also seen it. He could intellectualize it, but did not quite understand why I was so shaken. It was moving, I said, to see so many people, many of which were white or tourists from the global north, being reminded of the experience of colonialism, the consequences of tourism, the desperate need and significance of independence, the generational roots of exploitation, the failings of capitalism in a non-autonomous territory that belongs to another. It is a guiding light for any colonial or neocolonial experience of Latin America, I explained. The ex-lover needed some sort of further explanation as to why I was conflating the experiences of two very different countries into one. I had the distinct feeling that Chile and Puerto Rico had similar destinies about different forms of governance, and for some reason Latin America had forsaken Puerto Rico in a very similar way and very opposite way it had forsaken Cuba. Neocolonialism is a disguise very much like the promise of statehood. We are all tied to the will of another place that is more powerful and it is always distant. In the exhibition at the Whitney, literature was not reduced to mere quotes that decorated the entrance of the galleries. Literature does not guide, but creates the passage via which a body will traverse the experience of, in this case, a life that against all odds flourished under disaster. I felt something similar when I attended another exhibition in New York, this time at P. Pau Gallery, PPOW Gallery, during April 2023. In Jeline Rodriguez's uh, Third World Mixtapes, the same books that occupy our eye libraries are drawn into the frames of the pieces. I read this as a method to enter the environments of the subjects. The portraits of Rodriguez's uh, subjects are not just presented to the public as detached aesthetic objects, 
but on the contrary, they are full of the words of others and full of the words of their own, so as to create meanings that resonate with a particular form of artistry, the artist as activist. In one of the rooms of the gallery, Rodriguez also installed a table with books, a fully exposed library of Marxist, Black, anarchist, queer, and decolonial thought, as well as manuals for activist organizing. Sessions of discussions about the topics were planned, and the debate is again guided by social sense-making. Why is sense-making so crucial? Is it not Pipao located just in the middle of all too legible Broadway, Lower Manhattan, New York City? For me, the title of the exhibition is key here. Third world is key. In the realms beyond the doors of the gallery, even in the other floors of the same gallery, it is easy to understand anything under the language of the master. That language makes some of us invisible, makes most of us illegible. Thus, naming the issues, naming the problem, naming is the first act to then find, if not a solution, maybe another way. There is certainly another world flourishing under the all-too-legible map of New York City, and it deals with similar issues raised by Salas Rivera in her introduction to the reading El Bello Ser de Nuestros Cuerpos. Our world is the act of creating in the midst of precarity, and it is beautiful. By providing a language to read differently, whatever is happening beyond the doors of a Manhattan art gallery, literature opens up a space for understanding the possible. Context is not always in the here and now, but in the various level of recognition and thus circulation of a phenomenon that strikes us as unique, important and necessary for our collectivity. But there is more like the outstanding case of Cecilia Vicuña, a Chilean and longtime New Yorker poet that recently rose to international fame as an artist. We will have a full episode on her soon. Meanwhile, to understand the importance of literature in art galleries and museums, one has to go back to language, where language makes not only communication, but community, groups, society, and collectivity possible. We learn to speak when we learn the language of others, but what if that language does not speak about us? Well, we invent it. And that is the realm of literature. The activation of novels, poems, stories, and intellectual thinking in public and private spaces suggests a roadmap to provide a context to becoming aware and take everyday action that our world is not third world or first world anymore, but a life in a climate of emergency, perhaps better a climate change or a climate of constant change. It is not a surprise then that in these cases it is literature and theory that offer a solution to a problem created by an irresponsible minority. And it seems that poetic language provides a utopia that might materialize elsewhere in the future or right now in the words said and read. Such a deep and precise literary context to any sort of visual material might accelerate a profound cultural change we desperately need. To have a common code to talk about ecocide, climate refugees, weather displacement, food shortage, and the upcoming wars for access to energy and water. 
a common code beyond anxiety, fear, and yielding, but made of poetic enlightenment, empathy, realization of a collective destiny, and catharsis. What a surprise that one more time, our literatura is offering the solution to everybody's problems. This ends the letter, a podcast hosted by Monica Ramon Rios and Carlos Lave.